A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, October 17th, 2022, the 635th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. You'll be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening for free on a wide variety of platforms, except Spotify because I'm banned there. And just please share it with your friends. So as many of you know, I was unsuspended from Twitter a couple of weeks back after the decision in district court in Texas that said that Texans would have the right to sue the social media companies over censorship. I appealed my two year long suspension mentioning that case and they unsuspended me. Now, I have no idea if they found that argument based on the Texas case persuasive or if there was some other variable that made them decide to unsuspend me. 
but it happened regardless. And I spent a week or so just not posting and not getting involved with Twitter because Twitter is a cesspool where nothing positive happens pretty much at all. But then I just said, to hell with it. Let's see how it goes. Maybe I can just throw some of these people off their game. The very serious Twitter intellectuals who have supported a censorship regime over the last two plus years, either directly or indirectly, and have absolutely no idea what happens in the rest of the world if it is not there on Twitter. So they know that Twitter is a censored platform. And in a censored platform, you block all sorts of information from being able to be discovered by the people on that platform. And despite knowing that, they haven't actually incorporated that fact into their thinking. They believe that all sides are represented on Twitter. They have seen all sides' points of view and the arguments for those points of view. And they have determined through their very rigorous process of discernment and reasoning that the positions of all the mainstream, very serious Twitter intellectuals was right the whole time. There is not information anywhere that can dispute what they're saying. Therefore, they're right. They have the best arguments, even though they can't make them. And I bring this up because I want to share a few of my experiences. I want to report from the Twitter part of the digital battlefield and let you know how things are going in the community of very serious intellectuals, all of them so serious and so intellectual that they have not calculated the costs of getting all their information from a censored platform. So let's have some story time. Last week, I saw a post by Jason Whitlock. Jason Whitlock is a sports writer and cultural commentator. I enjoy his work very, very much. I think he's a very bright guy. I think he is very in touch with reality for the most part. Maybe not about Trump, maybe not about election fraud and that stuff, but he's very good, particularly inside that bubble. And he had said something about the stars of the Daily Wire not attending the opening, the red carpet premiere of Candace Owens's new documentary, which Kanye West also attended. And part of the Daily Wire didn't want to go because Kanye was going to be there and it couldn't be seen with Kanye because right now Kanye is a no-no person. And I just simply replied, well, the Daily Wire doesn't really have any stars outside of Candace Owens and Jordan Peterson. Candace Owens, and Jordan Peterson have big platforms. Candace Owens is an influencer who has pretty wide appeal and some level of impact, which I respect and enjoy. She's not my favorite, but I understand that people like her and I believe that she has a positive impact overall. And Jordan Peterson is someone I find very interesting, regardless of his political views. He is thinking for himself and putting original thinking out into the public conversation, which I love. The same cannot be said for Ben Shapiro and most of the rest of the Daily Wire crew. And I don't mean to besmirch Matt Walsh. He does some good stuff as well. But I hadn't brought him up in the conversation. Now, 
I said that in the future, those other guys would be irrelevant. And I believe that. And of course, no one on Twitter looks into the future and they say, well, you can't say that as someone with a podcast that only has a couple thousand subscribers. And of course, they have no idea how many subscribers I have. They look at my follower account on Twitter and think the fact that I was banned from Twitter has no influence on that number whatsoever. But they believe that Ben Shapiro is extremely relevant because of how many people listen to his podcast right now. And it is certainly true that he does have influence on the people who follow his podcast. Many of those people are people escaping the left and being told you got to check out Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro's thing is making those people feel very comfortable with this whole new idea of Ben Shapiro style conservatism. Now, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all if I thought that Ben Shapiro was actually acting as a conservative. Certainly, he has plenty of conservative beliefs. I think he believes in free markets, though his political positions and the things he actually promotes don't necessarily lend themselves to that. And he's obviously conservative on some level with his religious beliefs, which I don't care about at all. Everyone is welcome to believe as they choose. But he's not conservative about everything, and he has been absolutely dead wrong about critical things, and everyone will know it. And those critical things, of course, are the vaccine and election fraud. He was wrong about Trump. He vacillated between never Trump before Trump was elected and then sometimes Trump while Trump was there. And then during COVID, it was right back to Trump is bad. And after the election, it was Trump lost. There's no election fraud. He promoted the vaccine. He took the vaccine. He said he was against mandates, which is better than being for mandates. But it's not really good enough when you are trying to guide people and help them make their own decisions. And you're telling them, hey, gang, I know that the uh, vaccine is safe. Now, I don't think that everyone should have to take it. If you don't want to take it, don't take it. Simple, simple, gang. But I do believe it's safe, and I do believe it will help us get back to normal life. And he went on Rogan and talked about how he took it and his family took it, and he thinks it's good. Nothing else matters. Did the right thing for the vaccine. Never firmly came out against it. And he probably made a whole bunch of people in his audience feel comfortable with taking the vaccine. And as we see the negative side effects coming in, people's immune systems being destroyed, people dying, people getting myocarditis, people getting disgusting, thick, rubbery, gray blood clots, women miscarrying, women passing the vaccine to their babies through breastfeeding, negative effects on women's menstruation, negative effects on men's sexual health. It is basically a guarantee that even people in Ben Shapiro's audience will figure out that Ben Shapiro helped mislead them about the vaccine. There is a cost to pay for that. Now, it may not have come yet, and it may not come in two weeks or two months, but it's coming. People are going to understand they were duped, and then they're going to look to the people who helped to dupe them. 
And the vaccine isn't all Ben Shapiro has been absolutely wrong about that has huge implications in the well-being of his own audience members. He is completely wrong about the 2020 election. He has helped the globalists cover up election fraud for two years. There's no way around that. Okay, either there was election fraud and the election was stolen or there was not election fraud and the election was okay. There is election fraud. The evidence is everywhere and it is overwhelming. All you have to do is care to look with a curious mind and you will find it all over the place. I read Donald Trump's letter to the January 6th committee last week on this podcast, I believe on Friday, and Donald Trump ran through example after example after example in all of the swing states showing that determinative election fraud and illegality took place. None of those elections should have been certified. They were not held according to the law. And they were all filled with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions in some of the big states of illegal votes. The evidence has been gathered. The evidence is there. And now the narrative is beginning to fill in that fact little by little. The Connex story has gone out pretty wide. We talked about the J. Alex Halderman story the other day, how he had put out on Twitter that there was another vulnerability in the systems. And a lot of very smart people think that that was actually a bit of a limited hangout. And I'll get to that in a little bit. I think it's really important for people to know that there's been some analysis on what I talked about last week, and I want to update that. And then we had the story from Politico about how there was modem connectivity to the machines that could allow the machines to be manipulated. This stuff is all being pushed into the central narrative because it is becoming undeniable. There will be a point at which people realize that people like Ben Shapiro did not do their homework at best or simply for their own benefit, just denied the reality of these absolutely crucial pieces of information and kept them from their audience because they weren't allowed to say them and because they have their own personal motivations that simply do not include telling the truth to their audience. One of the people in the replies to me, because people got very, very mad, and they figured that the best thing for them to do was try to attack me personally, which makes me laugh. But one of the people in the replies said, even NPR says that nothing Shapiro says is untrue. And that, to this commenter, meant that Ben Shapiro's information was accurate and that he could be trusted because even the most left-wing source trusts him. Now, NPR is extremely left-wing. It is just global communist state propaganda media. It is actually public media funded by the United States government, which means your taxpayer dollars. And the commenter believed that this meant both sides have agreed that what Ben Shapiro is saying is correct. And that is an argument that still makes sense to these people. Ben Shapiro is sticking to the approved narrative. That is why Ben Shapiro can market himself as a conservative while saying virtually the same things that NPR is saying. NPR would rather have people listening to them, of course, and being extra liberal, but they're okay with people listening to Ben Shapiro because 
on all the crucial issues, Ben Shapiro's not leading those people anywhere different than NPR is. And absolutely no one on Twitter seems to realize this at all. Now, I know the argument. It's better that they're listening to someone like Ben Shapiro rather than someone like Chris Hayes. And on some level, I understand that argument. These people are at least gaining some sort of knowledge about how things actually work rather than thinking everything is simply about racism and sexism. But moving from Chris Hayes to Ben Shapiro does not require any grand awakening, and it may not get people any closer to an awakening. It may just put them back to sleep now believing that Ben Shapiro is right about everything and an authoritative source for them rather than Chris Hayes. That's not the point. The point is for people to be thinking for themselves, to listen to a variety of viewpoints and decide which one resonates with them, which one reflects their life, which point of view for them maps onto reality so that they can guide themselves. And that's what I hope to be doing on this podcast, which is why I pursue all sorts of ideas that are not allowed on Twitter. I don't need you or anyone in my audience to think that I am right about everything. I don't even really need you to think I'm right about anything. I just want you to think through these issues. If you come to different conclusions than the ones I reach, more power to you. Just make sure you're thinking for yourselves and not just taking everything as fact simply because someone on quote unquote our side says it. The point is to reduce all the power from the central narrative. The central narrative being the story told for the benefit of the world's most powerful people and institutions, world governments, entities like the World Economic Forum and the UN, they have all the power and all the control over the means of information. And you can't learn to fully deprioritize the central narrative when someone you believe is doing that is actually keeping you attached to the central narrative. And that is exactly what Ben Shapiro is doing. So Twitter's algorithm is even much weirder than it was two years ago. It simply supplies you with things it wants you to see, regardless of whether or not you're following accounts, regardless of whether or not you're following the issues those accounts are talking about or anyone following those accounts or anyone liking those posts. It'll just pop stuff up for you. And then you have the option of saying you're not interested in that post. They are just feeding you information that you never asked for. And so when they do that, when they pop up in Adam Kinzinger in my feed, for instance, I'm going to snipe, snipe, snipe at those little posts in the replies. And maybe people will see them, but probably not because I'm heavily shadow banned. Regardless, anyone who does, I hope might think one more step. Oh, hey, these people aren't right. They think that people like Ben Dominich or... Jonah Goldberg or Ben Shapiro represent the furthest acceptable edge of being, quote unquote, on the right. Everything past that is extremism and disinformation. And that's what they're told, not only by the people on the left, but by those very people who pretend to be on the right. All that Trump stuff, all that MAGA stuff, all the election denial. Now we've been downgraded to election skeptics or maybe promoted to election skeptics. We're a little bit better than before. Now we're not deniers, we're skeptics. I'm totally fine with being a denier. 
the vaccine deniers, the very violent insurrection deniers, the people who deny the overwhelming good of this war in Ukraine. All of that is unacceptable. All of that is disinformation. It's extremism. That stuff is not allowed into the conversation. And the people who are ostensibly on the right on Twitter are enforcing that boundary. They are acting as gatekeepers for what should be allowed on Twitter. And they are attempting to dictate the terms of the public conversation. So you can't get fully to awakening by listening to these people. If it's comfortable for these new listeners for a little while and then they move on, wonderful. That's what I did. I have no problem with that. But looking out into the future, these guys are headed for accountability for their incredibly destructive positions that they took over and over and over again, all of them reinforced by the central narrative and none of them supported by evidence from reality. And again, they don't understand this because they stopped looking a long time ago. And I had a funny interaction like this yesterday with a guy named Max Nordau or Nordo, and he represents himself as very conservative. I like some of his posts. I think he's right about some things. And then he gets into his Donald Trump hate and he talks about how great Ron DeSantis would be, how much better that will be than Trump. Trump made all these mistakes through COVID and now he's an election denier and everybody knows that the election was safe and secure and Joe Biden actually got 81 million real legal American votes. And since these people on Twitter have their community of their peers and the other people they interact with on Twitter, and they have all agreed that their positions are either totally right or mostly right, but definitely not wrong. They just continue to reinforce it among one another inside that bubble. They stopped paying attention a long time ago. So yesterday there was a major meltdown on Twitter about this Donald Trump statement. He said, no president has done more for Israel than I have. Somewhat surprisingly, however, our wonderful evangelicals are far more appreciative of this than the people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the U.S., those living in Israel, though, are a different story. Highest approval rating in the world could easily be PM, prime minister. Donald Trump is saying he could easily be prime minister of Israel because his approval ratings with Israelis are so high. And he says U.S. Jews need to get their act together and appreciate what they have in Israel before it's too late. Now, apparently, this is extremely anti-Semitic. Doesn't matter what Donald Trump is saying, doesn't matter what nuance he's applied here, and real world events make no difference. He is saying something that can be interpreted as negative toward Jews somehow, and that is enough for Donald Trump to be a racist, bigoted anti Semite who just also happened to have moved the embassy to Jerusalem and shepherded through the Abraham Accords which are probably the most significant step toward Middle East peace in decades. None of that matters because of mean tweets. And so I commented something. I can't even remember what it is. But then we got into a conversation about Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. And he was trying to get me to say that Donald Trump did a very bad thing by putting Anthony Fauci forward in the COVID period. 
and that Donald Trump is therefore responsible for everything Anthony Fauci recommended, even though Donald Trump wasn't implementing those things. Governors from around the country were implementing those things. School board members and university officials and corporate CEOs and media figures and the entertainment industry, all of them were backing all of the Fauci stuff. And they were profiting handsomely for doing so. But it's Donald Trump's fault because he put Anthony Fauci out front. Now, I understand people have a real hard time getting past that point of view. Why would Donald Trump put Anthony Fauci out front and allow this narrative to be propagated throughout society as if Anthony Fauci wasn't simply going on television all the time to say the same things and as if there weren't an army of other people doing that as well? Let's remember what 2020 was like. Anything that Donald Trump said would then be refuted and debunked by the news media, by people on Twitter. And day after day after day, Donald Trump was being painted as some dummy, some incompetent that had no idea what he was doing. And it turns out that a lot of conservatives have stuck with that for over two years now. And they don't stick with it because they can actually prove their position They can't answer questions about their position. They just believe it's true because it's the only thing that makes sense to them based on the limited information they receive inside the information bubble that exists on Twitter that they support, that they participate in, knowing full well it is a censored platform. And I say to him, well, hey, man. If you actually understood election fraud and understood that the 2020 election was stolen, it would probably change how you feel about these other things. It's strange that you've never considered that. And we had a conversation about election fraud. Show me the evidence. Show me the evidence. Okay, read Donald Trump's letter from last week where he goes through overwhelming evidence in the swing states. But nope, can't be bothered to do that. No matter what, Donald Trump is dumb and an egomaniac and an incompetent. So whatever's in that letter can't be real evidence. If it was real evidence, we already would have seen it. And whatever evidence he says has already been debunked in the media. So you know what? There's actually no point in looking and no point in taking any of it seriously. None of that stuff is evidence on Twitter. It is evidence in the real world, and it does matter in the real world. And people are starting to understand that in the real world, but it doesn't exist on Twitter. And so this guy, Max Nordau, does the sort of thing that people on Twitter who have no knowledge about what they're talking about commonly do. They will quote tweet something and then put their commentary there in a quote tweet so that the people in their feed will see it and know, hey, attack this guy. And I'm like, come on, commies, bring it on. I love this stuff. I actually told him at one point, please quote tweet all of these for me. Are you going to gang up on me with your little followers? All their little likes and tweets and comments are going to make me so mad and so sad that I'll just run away screaming. Oh, we were wrong the whole time. You're right. All of this evidence just isn't evidence because your brain dead followers got upset. There was one claim that one of his followers jumped on. Donald Trump had said that no president has gained votes in their reelection campaign and lost. And 
So his commenter thought that he could refute the entire letter by casting some sort of doubt on that factual claim. And so he took the last five and then went and contextualized why those five didn't gain votes, which, as you might notice, doesn't matter at all. He didn't refute the claim Trump made, and that claim was only to suggest through logical and deductive reasoning that something might be seriously wrong if a presidential candidate, in fact, gains 20 percent on their last total and still loses something that has never happened before. Gaining votes and then losing not only happened this time, but it happened while the person gaining votes gained a full 20 percent of their prior vote total. And we are supposed to understand as logical rational people, that that's probably not possible. Now, that's not a conclusive proof that the election was stolen, but it is a remarkably odd coincidence to have happen if it wasn't. And then he talks about the bellwether counties and the bellwether states, all of which he won. He gained congressional seats around the country, including in areas that he got wiped out by Joe Biden. And we're just supposed to believe that we're just supposed to believe all of it. So you knock down that one little claim and now the whole letter is gone. Hey, why didn't you go into the claims about the Arizona election audit? Why didn't you go into the claims about voters who had voted in all sorts of different places in numbers that would have immediately shifted the outcome of the election? Why is none of that important? Well, none of that's important because to all of them, all of that's been debunked. And the proof is that Joe Biden is, quote unquote, president right now. Now, whatever Joe Biden's ultimate legal status of whatever is happening right now turns out to be, he was not legitimately elected. He was not legitimately certified and he was not legitimately inaugurated. Fraud vitiates everything. And all of that was premised on widespread intentional fraud happening across multiple levels. And they simply don't care. And because they simply don't care, they have never looked. And because they've never looked, they don't know. Now, the fact that the 2020 election was stolen is a foundational belief for my philosophy and outlook. It's a foundational belief of this show. It's a foundational belief in a lot of the work being done by our community in their little community on Twitter, their little censored information bubble where inconvenient information is never dealt with at all. A foundational belief is that Joe Biden is a legitimate president and actually won because Donald Trump wasn't good enough in the swing states. People just didn't like Donald Trump enough. Forget about all the fraud. Doesn't matter. It didn't happen. All of it's been debunked. Nothing else could have happened or else the television would have told us. And when you have foundational beliefs like this, your outlook on the world springs forth from these foundational beliefs. Things are much different in any outlook if Donald Trump had the election stolen from him or if he did not. Now, only one of those two scenarios is true. Either the election was stolen or it wasn't. These people are extremely, extremely confident that it wasn't enough to build all their other beliefs upon that. And none of them have checked. None of them have any idea. Nordau asked me 
if I thought that Donald Trump won the popular vote. And I said, yes, Donald Trump absolutely won the popular vote, potentially by tens of millions. And he said, well, Joe Biden won by 8.5 million. Not true. That number, as reported, is six or six and a half million, depending on where you're looking. It's definitely not 8.5. And he asked me, so are you saying that there could be 17 million illegal votes? And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And if you understand the election system and how fraud is carried out, you would see that potentiality really easily. It's not hard to imagine at all. But no, this doesn't matter. And so he quote tweets me and calls me QAnon. Oh, the horror. And thinks that he and his pals are laughing at the dumb guy as if somehow that explains to the world that election fraud isn't real. Oh, all the dumb people believe in election fraud. Therefore, it's not real. That's very, very smart. Very serious Twitter intellectual. I guess you don't need to prove it. And the truth is, he doesn't. He doesn't need to prove his position. Not to me. I am more than happy for him to continue on down that road because he's kind of a dick. But none of their mocking and derision in their snide little comments, masking all of their ignorance, actually make any difference in the real world. They don't matter to me, obviously. These people are strangers, people I would never want to know, people whose opinions don't matter to me at all. The election was stolen or it was not. And it was. We're the ones who checked. That's why we know. And when someone who hasn't checked tells us that it's impossible, it's not even worth taking seriously. So I said that my Twitter account has been banned for the last two years. Now, two years ago, I was doing the same things that I am doing now, which is basically trying to make these people's heads explode because I refuse to back down to them or deal with them the way their normal Twitter community deals with them. And some people have more of a tolerance for that than others. I think that's funny. I'm not there to try to get followers. I'm there to try to make sure that people who don't see this sort of information actually do finally see it. And one of the people that I used to interact with a couple of years ago was a man named Connor Friedersdorf, who is a writer at The Atlantic, and he's from Southern California and believes that he is a slightly right of center conservative. At least that's always been my impression. He went full COVID. Of course, he does not believe in election fraud. And he writes for The Atlantic, which is just a global communist rag marketed toward elitists which is sad because it used to be a fairly prestigious magazine that dealt with literature and politics and world events, a wide range of subjects. But now it only exists to regurgitate the central narrative and talk about how bad the no-no Trump supporters are. So we followed each other back then, and when I was unsuspended, we were still following each other. So I was interacting with a few of his posts. I imagine he may have seen a few of mine. And I dropped a reply to one of his posts the other day and left it alone. And then I, a few minutes later, posted my own post that reads as follows. I attached an article at FEE.org. Natural immunity offered more protection against Omicron than three vaccine doses based on a recent study from the New England Journal of Medicine. I said the COVID vaccine isn't a vaccine. It isn't safe. It isn't effective. 
and it has always been totally unnecessary. Everyone who fell for it should stop telling other people how things should be. And I believe that a hundred percent. Okay. And I'm more than happy to prove each one of those things. But at this point in the game, none of these things actually need to be proven. These are all just basic truths that people who aren't stuck on Twitter understand. The COVID vaccine isn't a vaccine. Okay. They redefined what a vaccine was to make the COVID vaccine fit the new definition so that they could call it a vaccine. That is widely known and widely reported. It is not up for debate. It isn't safe. Now, whether or not something safe is an opinion, it is a point of view based on a risk benefit analysis and levels of safety differ for different people. But the numbers as they continue to come in and continue to increase about the negative side effects and the risks of the COVID vaccine, which is not a vaccine, suggest a very high potential for negative consequences for taking this vaccine for pretty much everybody. Some people it damages right away. There are people who die within days of taking this vaccine. It's just a fact. Then some people have consequences that begin to arise a couple weeks down the road, myocarditis, blood clots. And then we see rises in things like cancer. And we know that the shot is destroying people's immune systems, which means that at some point they will be susceptible to dying from a much wider range of causes than they would have been prior to taking the shots. So yes, maybe something is cancer or it's this disease or that disease, but the fact that the shot is what's destroying your immune system and leaving you more susceptible to dying from those things means that the shot isn't safe. You could have taken three, you could have taken four and still feel like a champ and good for you. I hope if that's the case, you will do everything you can to build your immune system up because what you did isn't safe, but that's not the standard for these people. Safety isn't a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of a risk benefit analysis. It's a matter of how many people the shot is killing directly according to their standard of evidence in the aggregate. So they can say, oh, well, you know, the shot is safe for 99.9% .9 of people. That means it's safe. Well, a COVID infection is safe for 99.9% .9 of the people. Telling people to get an experimental gene therapy to help them with that 0.1%, which, by the way, they can't really substantiate even that danger on, is crazy. In a risk-benefit analysis, you have to ask what the benefit is. And I said, it's not very effective. So you're doing something that is potentially deadly, potentially harmful. It could kill you. It could maim you. It could sterilize you could sterilize your children. And those are significant risks. So if you're going to say at that point that it's safe, then the benefit side must be huge. But the benefit side can't be huge because it's meant to protect you from a disease that kills one out of a thousand people, almost all of them being senior citizens with four plus significant comorbidities. And now even the science says that the very scary variants that have arrived since the original are far less deadly. So even if the vaccine was safe and was effective, it still isn't necessary. And it is definitionally not a vaccine up till they changed the definition a year ago 
a vaccine. And of course, these people believe that whether or not it's safe is a scientific claim. It's not a scientific claim. It is a claim about a risk benefit analysis that they simply haven't done because they don't believe there are any risks. And so Friedersdorf wanted to jump in my comments because this post was apparently very offensive to him. And he wrote, there is overwhelming evidence that it is effective at reducing the odds of death. Now that simply is not true. And it actually doesn't matter how many mathematical models he can cite saying that is, particularly when those models are funded by the same people who created the COVID models and are all funded at least downstream from Bill Gates and the WHO and all of these other world governing bodies. The very same people who created the virus and created the vaccine and are profiting massively off all of it have absolutely no incentive to eventually admit that their product is killing people, even though the evidence is everywhere. And of course, I said this to him. I said, there's no evidence other than mathematical models that assume the antibodies stop something. They don't. Any other evidence is only correlation with the fact that Omicron isn't remotely deadly and old and susceptible people were already killed. I said, this is silly, man. And again, this is just a fact. They already removed the most vulnerable people from the pool of potential people to get infected with COVID throughout 2020. They allowed COVID sick patients to go into nursing homes where other people would be infected. They were given remdesivir, which is a known awful drug, and then they were put on ventilators and they died. But rather than understanding that point or discussing that point, he simply posts a link from OurWorldInData.com that shows the COVID-19 weekly death rate by vaccination status. And again, this is ridiculous for so many reasons. That statistic does not affect whether or not the vaccine is effective. You cannot say that the vaccine is what's working when you know the virus isn't deadly. And you especially can't do it when the people who are unvaccinated are not getting tested for COVID, while the other side not only gets tested all the time, but gets COVID all the time after taking the vaccines. I wrote back, I don't know what to tell you if you're still looking for answers in the same system that has produced false responses for two and a half years about absolutely everything. Got to get outside the Twitter bubble. That's not proof of anything. I wrote the recent nature study defines vaccinated as fully vaccinated or previously infected and unvaccinated as not up to date on shots or never infected. It's all meaningless and an attempt to avoid the obvious crimes against humanity. He says, I don't understand this tweet. I am vaccinated. Did I suffer a crime against humanity? What was it? As for previously infected, the case for getting vaccinated or boosted weakens for people with natural immunity from previous infection. Oh, what a revelation that is. Yeah, that's obviously true. There's no case for getting vaccinated or boosted if you were previously infected. But people like Connor Friedersdorf and the doctors and the public health experts and the pharma execs weren't saying that. In fact, they were censoring the people who did say that. The proponents of natural immunity were censored and banned from the internet. And we know that they did that hand in hand with government as well. 
There was a new filing in the lawsuit against the U.S. government brought by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt and Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry, where they talked about exactly this. They are seeking to depose people like Anthony Fauci and Jen Psaki for coordinating with the social media companies to censor information about COVID. But the very serious intellectuals on Twitter believe that this is a reasonable new position. Okay, well, the case is weakened for boosting and for people getting the vaccine if they've already been infected. Well, no, it hasn't weakened. There was never a case to begin with. They simply lied about it. We know that their past comments on vaccines during pandemics or for people with natural immunity already prove that they knew it. There is a history of comments from the exact same people who shut down the natural immunity conversation showing that they know that Anthony Fauci himself is on video doing it. But this is the new position. It's not the recognition that we were lied to by the same people who continue to push the vaccine and the same people who produce the studies that say it's working. It's that the science has changed. So now we can justify a different position. But the science hasn't changed. I said, yes, your overall health and immunity are being negatively affected by the spike proteins reproducing in your body. They have created an autoimmune deficiency syndrome. Again, they knew this and it's in the docs. Cancers are skyrocketing as are countless other maladies. And he says, please cite the evidence for cancers are skyrocketing. And this is the tactic always. They disagree with something. And so immediately they give you a link that they think shows their position is indisputable and yours is totally wrong. And you just have to read that link and agree with them. That is your only choice. Now, it should be obvious that simply arguing on the basis of links you provide is itself a logical fallacy. It is an argument from authority. You are suggesting that your source that you just provided is an authoritative source. And I should simply accept what it says as true in place of an actual argument. And then they will ask you to provide your links so that they can read them. And they always say, oh, I'm no, I'm really interested in seeing evidence that might conflict with my point of view. But no, they're not. If they were interested in evidence that might convince them they were wrong, they would have already looked at it. Remember, taking a shot, getting injected with an experimental gene therapy is in fact a life or death decision. One that these people made without considering life or death. If you ask people who got vaccinated why they got vaccinated, what will they most often say? I had to do it for work. I had to do it because I wanted to travel. I had to do it because I have an immunocompromised relative, something apparently millions of people just discovered about their relatives two years ago. Or they'll simply say they believed it was the right thing to do, but their arguments are never I was scared of dying from the very deadly variant. The arguments are never about the safety and efficacy of the vaccine, though they will state those arguments later. But that wasn't their justification. They had a reason why they thought they should do it. That is unrelated to the life or death decision they went and made. And of course, they didn't have the foresight to think about whether or not the things they wanted to do that the vaccine would allow them to do might not require being vaccinated in a relatively short amount of time. And it turns out that's exactly what happened. Like all of us were saying, 
they're not going to be able to keep these mandates and these rules in place. And sure enough, they didn't. So that wipes out the, I did it for work. I did it to travel. I did it because it was the right thing to do. Well, no, it wasn't. None of that stuff is valid. And you could have known at the time. And instead you made a life or death decision without thinking about life or death. But the very serious intellectual writer at the Atlantic wanted to play a game of links. And so I said, no, I just simply said, no, I'm not going to send you the evidence so that you can tell me it was debunked. And now I need to send you more evidence so you can go through and tell me that that's been debunked too. And then you send back your links of the debunkings. And I say, oh, you got me there. You won another game of links on Twitter. Congratulations. I wrote, if you cared, you'd have found it yourself a long time ago. I'm not trying to be a dick because I respect you, but let's get serious. You're in denial for two years now. We all told you and you called us conspiracy theorists. We've been right about all of it because we don't exist in an information bubble on a platform that you know is censored. You guys promote censorship of people like me. That's a guarantee to intentionally make the people doing the censoring uninformed. The moral relativism supporting it has its consequences. And of course, he responds. I've never even heard the claim that cancers are skyrocketing. If there is evidence for it, cite it. Don't pivot to this weak, if you cared nonsense. I'm here to engage with people who have different views than me and see their evidence, not to indulge in their histrionics. And I said, it's not histrionic. I'm calling out a denial technique. Check the DOD data that Thomas Renz is handling. Daniel Horowitz has done plenty of work, easily available. But the truth is, this is simple. It's not safe. It's not effective. And it's never been necessary. We don't need studies when a massive global conglomerate has governments forcing people to buy their deadly product for massive profit. You know what this is. Just admit it. And he says, it seems to me that what you regard as common sense is exactly wrong. And that when asked for evidence to back up your claims, you refuse to cite any. And I said, no, man, you want that to be what this is, but it isn't. You all know what you've supported. Own it if you want to own it. But stop denying it. You're running out of time for that. It's literally all entering the mainstream at this point. Wait till you hear about election fraud. And I don't need to guide everybody through the entire thread and all these responses, but it went on for about two hours like this. And I refused multiple times to supply him with evidence. I told him where he could find evidence and he would refuse to go. I said, simply type this into a non-Google search engine and see what you find. Someone brought up Naomi Wolf's dailyclout.io. He could go there and find information about all of the vaccine side effects and everything that's in the Pfizer docs. Those are experts. Those are doctors. Those are scientists. Those are attorneys going through all of that stuff. It's not a joke. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's exactly what's in their docs. And he has been told where to find the information and still won't do it because he wants to play a game of links. And if you don't play the game of links with him, then he's got nowhere else to go. And it became abundantly clear to me that he didn't know anything about what he was talking about and couldn't actually have this argument if I wasn't going to bend the knee to what he calls evidence, which are his links. And it's funny because he believes his links actually support the truth, but all they do is support the central narrative. I am fully able to go through his links and tell him why his links are wrong. He believes that he has the ability to do the same thing with whatever links I might send to him. Oh, that's been debunked. Oh, that's been debunked. Oh, that's been debunked. Hey, Connor, 
wait six months and tell me how debunked it is then. But that's not what's going to happen because then he'll believe that the science changed. There's been new reporting and now he has adjusted his calculation based on the new information. Of course, the information was already available and it's always been available. And if he wanted to look at it, he could have. We're talking about two and a half years where people, including myself, have put this information right in front of him and had these conversations with him. And he has not shifted his position at all during that whole time. In fact, he barely even considers that he might be wrong. He tried to tell me how he has doctors and scientists that he's able to talk to. And I said, hey, buddy, I got doctors and scientists I'm able to talk to. That's no problem at all. I can do that. They agree with me. In fact, I can show you world-renowned experts from whom I received the information that guided my viewpoint. And I'm more than happy to share them with you if we really have to go down that route. But the thing is, you already know they exist. You just call them conspiracy theorists too. So what you're telling me is that your sources are authoritative and my sources are not. And so all you're doing is playing the game of links, the game of sources, and you've decided that once again, you win and your peers in your community on Twitter will all back you up and tell you, yeah, Connor, you're right. Yeah, Connor, you're right. And he'll just go on believing it because there's simply too much riding on the whole thing. There is too much riding on it all if he's wrong. And so I eventually said to him, I was like, Connor, here's the thing. Okay. You have no understanding of what another belief system is and what it produces. And it's leading you to a lot of really bad conclusions that are obviously wrong now to people actually paying attention to this stuff. And in the future, they're actually going to embarrass you. And I said to him, I'm more than happy to jump on the phone with you and I can run you through all of this. I would have the most polite conversation imaginable. I bet we'd get along famously and both enjoy it. I have no ill will towards this person. I would like to wake him up. I wanted to guide him toward a breakthrough. And what does he do? He says, if you read this book, I'll have a conversation with you. And he links me on Amazon to a book called Kindly Inquisitors by one of his colleagues at The Atlantic, a man named Jonathan Rauch. Now, maybe the book is good. Maybe it's interesting. I don't know. But what I'm not going to do is order a book on Amazon and then commit to reading it so that someone I'm offering to guide through something they clearly don't understand will then be willing to have a conversation with me. And what led up to that was him saying, if you ever want to have a conversation that involves comparing evidentiary claims rather than evading that discipline, you know where to find me. But that's not a discipline. That's just trading links. That is a process of both of us exchanging arguments from authority and then him as the elite, the expert, a blue check writer at the very prestigious Atlantic with 90,000 followers, deciding that his links are still the best and his credentials as an elite intellectual prove it. He's just better than old ignorant me at figuring out right and wrong when it comes to links and sources. But he tells me that I get the benefit, the enjoyment of talking to him if only I read his friend's book first. And I said, sorry, man, not going to do it. I don't need to do you a favor before I do you a favor. I was educated in philosophy and formal logic. Don't pretend to condescend to me. And what I mean, of course, is that I am actually going to be enhancing his understanding 
of a different point of view that he very clearly does not understand. I have absolutely no problem understanding his point of view. It is shared by literally everyone who imagines themselves to be an elite intellectual in the mainstream. The view is not complicated. It is simply a matter of saying that you agree with the experts, trust the experts, trust the science. Oh, here's why I trust the science. It's this link. Here's why I trust the science again. It's this link. Here's why I trust the experts. It's this link all day long. Okay, buddy, you've got the expert point of view because you trust so many experts. I understand. It basically makes you an expert yourself. I get it, but I don't need his point of view. I can see it on Twitter. I followed it two years ago and his point of view is replicated over and over and over and over and over again throughout the mainstream. All of us are familiar with that argument. All of us are familiar with the information that undergirds that argument because we get it not only from these imaginary elite intellectuals, but also from our friends and family and neighbors because they play the same game. They play a game of links here. Look at my links. My links mean your links are invalid. And it went on and on and on like this. I continued calling him out for all of these ridiculous moves he was making for his pretension that somehow I should be so enamored with a writer from the Atlantic that I will buy a book, wait for that book to be sent to me and then read that book and then say, hey, please, will you talk to me now so that I can educate you about something you are utterly ignorant about? Honestly, who do these people actually think that they are? And we know who they think they are. They're experts. They're the ones with 90,000 followers. It doesn't matter how many of them are bots. They're the ones with the blue checks. It doesn't matter that their verification status has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not they're right about any given subject. It is their false claim to authority within the party of false decorum. That's what authority is there. You have to listen to your betters. He believes that he is my better, which is why he believes it's a favor for him to talk to me and not the other way around when I don't need to know anything from him, at least not about this subject. He might be very wise in other fields, and maybe he knows plenty of things that I don't know. That's fine. I have no problem admitting it. But about this, it's not only that I know things that he doesn't know, it's that I understand things he doesn't understand, and it's for a reason. And I tried to tell him this over and over again. Hey, man, you get your information. You do your learning in a censored environment. You have to begin to understand what that means. It means you don't get the other points of view. They do not understand this. It is honestly baffling to me. It is worse than I ever imagined. They simply do not know any of it about any of the subjects. There is only what happens in Twitter. It is no coincidence then that people on the far left, like NPR and people on what is called the far right, like Ben Shapiro happen to all agree because the political spectrum on Twitter is still entirely on the left and it's all in the censorship bubble. Information there just doesn't get in. And they know this. They know about the censorship. They just never think about what it means. They believe that there are two sides of each one of these issues. And all the important arguments are being had by those two sides. And that both sides in reality are represented in Twitter. They just think the mean and rude and really, really bad people aren't allowed in. But everything else is totally in there. But that's not it. 
if you are attached to the central narrative, if what you are doing supports the vaccine agenda and the cover up of election fraud and the insurrection agenda and ridiculous wars in foreign countries that we should have nothing to do with countries that aren't our allies and everybody ends up agreeing about all that stuff, then you're not getting all the sides of the argument because there are actually people that can argue the opposite side that has been completely removed from Twitter and they want it removed. They don't want to be in arguments with people that can actually argue with them. They want to argue about minutia, which is why they spend the entire day moralizing about the importance of keeping soup off of the glass coverings, protecting famous works of art in museums. It is truly the kids table. Everybody can just know that's bad. You don't need to make an argument about whether or not it's bad. Everybody knows it's not important. It's not fixing climate change. We don't need more awareness about climate change, but they all pretend that's where the discussion is. And they spend days on it, days that they could be learning about all these things they have no idea about, but they don't care because it's time to moralize about artwork. You're going to be a protector of the arts. Hey, Everybody understands we should protect art except for the people who want to destroy art and destroy our history. And it turns out that everybody on Twitter is actually helping those very people implement their agenda while arguing that it's not their own responsibility for doing so. Oh, I disagreed very, very much with those children putting that soup on the glass, protecting that artwork. It's just disgraceful. And yeah, fine. It's disgraceful. But that's not the argument. They'll have arguments about masks. Oh, I said two masks definitely didn't work. And I said that masks weren't necessary in restaurants. I just also believed that it was good to wear masks as a symbol of unity and because it made some other people feel protected. The difference between that view and we all need to wear two masks is a matter of degrees. It's not a matter of what's right and wrong. The fact is that masks don't work. Masks don't work at all. And there is a risk to wearing masks and a health consequence from wearing masks and a societal consequence from wearing masks. But you can't have that conversation because that information by and large is not allowed on Twitter and you'll see it on Twitter. I'm not saying you'll never see it. I'm just saying it's shadow banned. That stuff is removed from the conversation. They play a game of links and then they get their whole little mob to come in and attack those people for sharing those points of view so that those points of view, everyone knows whether or not they're going to be banned. You are going to be shunned and shamed and ganged up on on Twitter if you share those points of view. So they are going to disincentivize you ever sharing them. So the censorship actually does work on multiple levels and in multiple ways. And by and large, everyone there participates in it, even while it makes them so dumb that they don't know the most basic facts about the most important issues in the world. You don't have to play their game. You don't have to play a game of links. You don't have to play a game of sources. You actually don't even have to substantiate your opinion at all unless you're in a conversation with somebody and you feel like it. You're not actually required to do that for their benefit at all. You can decline to do that and simply say, hey man, you're wrong. I'm actually not trying to convince you that I'm right. I don't care what you believe. And apparently you don't either. 
If you cared about whether or not you were right or wrong, you would have already considered these positions because they're so obvious and because being right or wrong on these issues actually matters a lot because it has critical consequences, not only for you, but for your family, for your friends and for your society. And you still didn't do it. So why am I going to play this game with you now? My priority is not to win some sort of victory in the Twitter comments over these people. It's to make them stop thinking in such an obviously poisoned fashion. They have been wrong repeatedly in the same ways and for the same reasons throughout this entire time, and they have never questioned it. It's always just a matter of degrees and of details. Oh, well, you see, I disagreed with Dr. Fauci about wearing two masks. Oh. What an enlightened viewpoint. Why didn't you disagree with him when he was telling you that the shot that was never tested to show it prevented transmission was going to prevent transmission and that that's how we were going to gain herd immunity? Why didn't you disagree with him then? And hey, maybe you did. Maybe you disagreed with him about that, too. In fact, maybe you disagreed with him in certain ways the entire time. And maybe there was evidence backing up your disagreement with Dr. Fauci. Well, if that's the case, how come you have never thought that Dr. Fauci might just be lying to everyone and trying to steer everyone in a direction that he profits massively from, especially when the disease can't really kill anybody? Why didn't you think maybe he's lying and the people he's associated with who are saying all the same things. Well, they might be lying too, but nope, they're the experts. You can have your own opinion about what the experts say, but that opinion can never be that the experts are wrong, that the experts are lying to you on purpose because they're profiting, all of which should be completely obvious by now. You do not need to give them evidence over and over again while they claim that what you're giving them isn't evidence. You're not required to do that. You don't have to play their game and you don't have to pretend to simply tell them, no, I'm not going to do that. You can't prove your side at all with actual legitimate authoritative sources of your information. So why are you attempting to require the same of me when I know that you will say my sources are not authoritative? And the truth is, my sources don't need to be authoritative because my arguments aren't arguments from authority. My arguments are about epistemology and morality and critical thinking and deductive reasoning. We don't need to play a game of sources when almost all of us know someone who has been negatively affected by these vaccines or who has gotten COVID over and over again after getting the vaccine or has died or had a miscarriage from getting the vaccine. We don't need to play a game of links. We don't need to play a game of sources. Now, I didn't want all of that to go quite so long, but I did want to talk about it because this is a real thing. This is really the state of the very serious intellectual conversation in the mainstream. This is the state of Twitter. This is why these people can't get out of these massive, massive problems that they have in their ability to understand the world right now. You don't have to back down to these people and you also don't have to play their game. They're not just going to be convinced if you win a game of links. They have staked their entire reputation on the set of beliefs 
that you're trying to talk them out of. You're not going to be able to do that by supplying them links. Now, let's blaze through a couple other relevant issues before I wrap this up. I said that I wanted to update the story about the cast vote records that I mentioned on Friday with the new J. Alex Halderman vulnerability that he has just discovered. This is Jeff O'Donnell, the lone raccoon on Telegram. He is one of the experts, one of the statisticians, one of the data analysts who's been doing all the very important work on the cast vote records and showing that the final vote count in all of these states and all of these counties around the country are impossible mathematically and quite obviously the result of algorithmic manipulation of the system. He writes, Okay, friends, by now, many of you have seen the warning put out by Halderman and others regarding the so-called privacy flaw in Dominion election systems regarding cast vote records. First off, the whole basis of the document is stupid. It is solving a problem that nobody really cares about and answering a question that nobody asked. In today's age, tell me why someone would go to the great effort necessary to figure out how someone voted. This isn't 1920 anymore when some union bosses would threaten workers if they didn't vote the right way. Come to think of it, we still have that, but American union workers and Americans in general have weakened to a point where threats aren't necessary. They just do as they are told. I certainly don't care if anyone knows how I voted, but if people do, then we need laws. If they are not already on the books, preventing workers from being discriminated against by their political affiliation or vote. How can you possibly compare a Wiley Coyote-esque method to figure out how someone voted to documented vote manipulation or evidence that our election infrastructure was hacked into nationwide? Well, you can if you are trying to cover up or distract from said evidence, and that is part of what is going on here. There are those out there who run to any bright, shiny object like this and breathlessly report on it, knocking the important stuff off the board. The enemy knows this. The info in the Halderman report is well known, by the way. It is why large counties will redact extremely small precincts, like five voters or less, from their cast vote record. To prevent the problem being now trumpeted as so critical, we need to drop everything we are working on and pay attention to this shiny object. With weeks till the midterm, the strategy is entirely too obvious. But what this really is is Halderman and the others warning the bad actors in the counties and states that the cast vote records provide a clear and present danger to them. We already have enough cast vote records to provide an organized national conspiracy in 2020. Yeah, my opinion, but that's the only one I have. The bad guys also know this, and this new Halderman document is designed to cast doubt on the existing ones and make sure the 2022 CVRs are unusable. Halderman is an enemy, and this proves it, as if his whitewashing of Antrim wasn't enough, and that's Antrim County, Michigan. Yes, he has put out a few things once in a while which were helpful to our fight, but that's what a successful double agent does. You've got to appear to be at least playing the middle. And so I say this for what it's worth. My footprint is small, but our combined footprint is massive, and I would like to get this message out. And he says, I, Jeffrey O'Donnell, Declare that any county who obfuscates or sorts their cast vote records or has done so in already supplied cast vote records, and I am looking at you, Allegheny County, 
in any way other than the condition listed below is guilty of interfering with public records and is guilty of covering up potential federal crimes. It is an axiom that in general criminals get caught through the cover up rather than the crime. And I ask you to consider this. Do not participate in the destruction of evidence. You will be held to account. And what he's talking about is the cast vote records actually shows which votes came in and in what order. And by analyzing those, you can actually see the manipulation. If they just jumble up the cast vote record so that you have no idea what order the votes came in, then you can't analyze that information and see the manipulation in the same way. So that is where this new Halderman revelation is involved in the cover-up. He finishes, I allow for counties with small batches, 100 to 200 ballots, to randomize ballots within these batches. This is already being done in some places, and although I do not like it, it does not significantly affect the analysis. But what he's suspecting is going on here is that they are going to randomize these in their big voting centers so that through that they can make this kind of analysis impossible and not only make it impossible to analyze the 2022 election, these midterms, but so it also convinces people that the analysis done on the cast vote records from 2020 is then invalid for some reason. Now, I talked last week about how CNN and others had reported that Obama was not going to do a whole lot of campaigning. And there were quotes in that article about how Obama believed that maybe he could be even more divisive a figure. He didn't want to get too involved. Obama is their superstar, but he just didn't want to get too involved, especially not knowing that the Democrats are going to get crushed around the nation. Well, a few days later, now they're talking about a great Obama return. He's going to go campaign for Democrats in Georgia, Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock. And then I imagine that over the next few days, we are going to see stories about how the polls are changing and how Obama jumping back into the fray has provided the Democrats the boost they need to erase the Republican gains and then on Election Day have a miraculous victory. That surely isn't the result of election fraud. Now, my friend Kyle, who many of you will know as Just Human, he has been on this podcast before, and we are both contributors to Patel Patriot's new venture, Badlands Media. Well, he has been following and analyzing the Durham trial against Igor Danchenko, the prosecution of Igor Danchenko. And he wrote this today, which I think puts the whole situation in a lot of perspective. You'll know that Kevin Kleinsmith was found guilty a couple of years back for falsifying emails, and he had a light slap on the wrist. The attorney, Michael Sussman, was tried by Durham in the early summer, and he was acquitted. And now we've got Danchenko, and it remains to be seen what will happen in that case. But here is what Kyle has said. If Kleinsmith had gotten the full measure of the potential sentence under 18 U.S. Code 1001 on false statements, which would be five years imprisonment plus a fine, how much would that have mattered to you? If Sussman had gotten the same five years in prison plus a fine, how much of a win would that have been? If Danchenko gets even half the available maximum sentence, around 12 years in prison plus a fine, would you regard that as a knockout blow to the deep state? The convictions of the minor players would be nice. I would celebrate it bigly, but it wouldn't carry forward the overall dismantling of the deep state and the swamp nearly as much as what we have gotten out of these cases. 
Klein Smith got a deal because he talked. Sussman case forever destroyed the Alpha Bank hoax, got Mark Elias, Robbie Mook, and a number of other people, including FBI agents, before a grand jury and on the witness stand. Mook admitted Hillary approved the sharing of the hoax with the corrupt media, and that is absolutely true. It is there in the court record. We learned of Jaffe, who is still under investigation, and his companies, the researchers, the spying on the executive office of the president, and we got FBI agents on the stand, where we learned they too were under investigation. Most importantly, the Sussman case and trial busted down the attorney-client privilege wall that these corrupt people have used for decades to hide their criminality. The Danchenko case is no different. I don't expect a conviction, though I do expect Durham will successfully prove his case and do want a conviction. I expect and have seen in the filings to date the further dismantling of the Steele dossier, the exposure of longtime Clinton apparatchik Chuck Dolan, who was referred for investigation, the absolute bombshell that Danchenko was made a confidential human source and then informed on Dolan and others. And now Dolan is going to testify against Danchenko. The Danchenko case has given us the real Russian collusion, which was between Hillary, the Dems, their PR firms, Steele, and the Ukrainian-born suspected Russian asset Danchenko and his source, Russian swamp-loving Chuck Dolan. This is mob trial stuff. Durham is working his way up, getting the right people before grand juries, on witness stands, getting the docs, and getting the filings he needs in the court record for future prosecutions of corrupt players higher up. Dismantling a criminal syndicate cannot be done within just one trial. It takes many investigations, many cases, many trials. Denchenko is an important one, but it is just one of many. And I think he's exactly right. There are those who think that the John Durham prosecutions are just a cover-up. They only exist to make it look to the public as if something is being done. And if they continue not to achieve convictions, people will just assume there's actually nothing there. They'll forget about the whole thing. And all of the circumstances that led to the fake Russia hoax and the Mueller report, the investigation, all of that crossfire hurricane will just be swept under the rug and forgotten about forever. And I do understand why people think that, but I don't think that those people are properly looking ahead. I have smart friends who believe that, and I agree with them about a great many things, and I respect their position on this as well. I just think it's wrong. I think Kyle is right here. I think Kyle has paid as much attention or more attention than pretty much anyone. And he is certainly right that if you were going after a criminal syndicate and potentially going to bring a RICO suit in the future at some point, then these would be the types of prosecutions you would see. They're getting the structure and the evidence and the testimony about this larger criminal conspiracy by having these much smaller cases. And so if that's where things are headed, then the convictions on these smaller cases don't really matter because there are much bigger fish to fry. And if these prosecutions get us much closer to that, then that is a very positive outcome. Now, I do want to hit one last thing before I go, because I know the first half there was not a whole lot of news about what's going to be happening this week. So a lot of people have been paying attention to Elon Musk justifiably. Last week, Elon said that if people still want him to be supplying Starlink access to what we're calling Ukraine, 
then the Pentagon is going to have to fund it because it's actually very expensive for Elon Musk to be doing this. And he doesn't actually have to be doing it on his own. Now, at the beginning of the Elon Musk Ukraine Starlink story, it was made clear that the focus of the Starlink system in Ukraine was going to be supplying it to areas where the conflict was happening. Well, all of those areas are now just Russia and the United States, the illegitimate regime might not recognize it. They might not recognize it in the EU or in NATO or in the UN, but it is part of Russia. Russia recognized it. The people of those regions, largely ethnic Russians, voted to become part of Russia, part of the Russian Federation and other world leaders and other countries also recognize it. So I don't know if that is the reason why Elon Musk decided that he was not going to continue the Starlink project there, but it could have something to do with it. So everybody melted down online. The Alexander Vinmans of the world suggested that Elon Musk should be canceled. What they were going to do was create a Twitter mob so big that Elon Musk is just going to change his mind because he doesn't want to receive any more mean tweets. It's awfully funny that the people who thought Donald Trump was unserious and terrible for our country were concerned about his mean tweets, but all their heroes like Alexander Vinman think that Elon Musk will make world changing potentially decisions as a result of their being able to flood him with mean tweets. Once again, these people are morons and they have no moral authority about anything. It seems to me that they're far more concerned that they can't get the Pentagon to pay Elon Musk. And why wouldn't they be able to do that? They're sending billions of dollars, committing billions of dollars a week to be sent to Ukraine. Much of that money isn't getting there, just like most of the arms aren't getting there. But they certainly are making it clear that they have that money and that they can push that money there. So why can't they pay for the Starlink if it's that important? Elon Musk is just supposed to do charitable works for this war cause that he clearly doesn't agree with? Has he been drafted and just no one knows it? Nope. They just want to use the narrative to force his hand. So he has said he's more than happy to do it. And maybe he will just go ahead and do it. And now he is offered for people to be able to donate to him doing it. And we'll see what happens next. But today on Twitter, Elon Musk quote tweeted and shared a post by someone who I think may be his friend, David Sachs. And he says, exceptionally well said. The tweet he's referring to is from David Sachs a couple of weeks ago, where he wrote my latest op-ed for Newsweek, neocons and the woke left are joining hands and leading us to World War Three. And the article's not long, so I want to go through at least a little bit of it with you. This is from October 4th in Newsweek. Elon Musk got in hot water again on Twitter for proposing peace. On Monday, Musk proposed a peace deal to end the war in Ukraine for which he was denounced as a pro-Putin puppet by the Twitter mob that is formed to police the discourse on all things related to Ukraine, and truthfully, the discourse on all things, period. The president of Ukraine himself, Volodymyr Zelensky, accused Musk of supporting Russia, even though Musk's company, SpaceX, donated Starlink to Ukraine's war effort at an out-of-pocket cost of $80 million. Full disclosure, Musk is a friend, and I am an investor in SpaceX. Ukrainian ambassador to Germany, Andre Melnik, was less subtle, telling Elon to fuck off, while David Frum tweeted without evidence that Russian sources had used Elon 
to float a trial balloon of a peace proposal because they're afraid of losing Crimea. Scores of blue checks on Twitter followed their lead, ordering Musk to stay in his lane. What matters in this story is not that Musk was told off, but rather that a Twitter hive mind is using the same intolerant cancellation tactics that they use to shut down debate on domestic political issues in order to shape U.S. policy toward Ukraine. They are doing so by demonizing dissent, defaming opponents, and closing off as ideologically unacceptable any path to peace or even de-escalation. The online mob has decided that any support for a negotiated settlement, even proposals that Zelensky himself appeared to support at the beginning of the war, is tantamount to taking Russia's side, denouncing voices of compromise and restraint as Putin apologists. This removes them from acceptable discourse and shrinks the Overton window to those advocating the total defeat of Russia and an end to Putin's regime, even if it risks World War III. And that's exactly right. That Overton window is only open. The area for conversation is only open so far as the Twitter information bubble will allow. Nothing outside that gets in. What makes the I stand with Ukraine version of the Twitter mob unique is that it brings together two forces that used to be sworn enemies of one another, the woke left and the neoconservative right. It turns out they share many of the same loathsome ideology and personality traits and have a similar slash and burn approach to political engagement. It's a new political marriage. Just over a decade ago, former President Barack Obama defeated Hillary Clinton in the Democratic primary to become the president due in no small part to his opposition to the Iraq war. At the time, the left despised neocon hawks for pushing the Bush-Cheney administration's disastrous forever wars in the Middle East. Moreover, the left supported Obama in his policy toward Ukraine when he refused to escalate with Russia over Crimea, pointing out that America has no vital security interest in Ukraine, though Russia does. As a result, Russia would always be able to maintain escalatory dominance, Obama said. This is an example of where we have to be very clear about what our core interests are and what we are willing to go to war for. That was Obama just eight years ago. And now in a situation that is almost exactly the same, that point of view is not even allowed to be considered. But since neoconservatives largely walked out of the Republican Party over Trump and disavowed all of their conservative domestic policy views to become commentators on MSNBC, the left has discovered a new love for interventionist foreign policy as long as it serves democracy and opposes what they call autocracy an increasingly malleable term that both the wokes and the neocons now use to define not just Putin, but also democratically elected leaders like Viktor Orban in Hungary, Georgia Maloney in Italy, and Donald Trump in the United States. Despite voting for Obama because he promised to break with neoconservative foreign policy, the left has now joined with the neocons to oppose Obama's restrained foreign policy in Ukraine. The shift is disorienting, but on a purely tactical level, it makes a certain amount of sense. Neocons invented the cancellation game before there was even a Twitter board on which to play it. Neocons arrogantly dismiss the other side's point of view as argued in bad faith and not worth considering and label anyone who dares question the cause as a heretic or traitor. David Frum set the neocon standard for this tactic when he branded the small number of pundits on the right who opposed the Iraq war as unpatriotic conservatives at the outset of that strategic disaster. 
Fast forward to today and anyone who suggests that NATO expansion could have been a contributing factor to the current Ukraine crisis or that the sanctions imposed on Russia are not working and have backfired on a soon to be shivering Europe or even that the U.S. must prioritize avoiding a world war with a nuclear armed Russia is denounced as a Putin stooge. Warping the debate in this way allows delusional and contradictory thinking to go unchallenged. Thus, we get the argument that Putin is a madman who will kill indiscriminately to achieve his aims. But he is also somehow bluffing about using nuclear weapons. And he's only using that bluff because he's losing the war. But if he's not stopped in Ukraine, he will go on to conquer the rest of Europe. Putin's regime must fall because he has killed or jailed all the liberal reformers and yoked himself to a hardline far right. But somehow he will be replaced by a liberal reformer when his regime collapses. It's nonsensical and a real debate would expose some of the delusions in this thinking. But we aren't allowed to have one. As long as this woke neocon alliance is allowed to set the terms of the debate, we will continue to see a one way ratchet toward greater and more dangerous escalation of this conflict. There will be no peaceful resolution to this conflict that America doesn't at least have a hand in negotiating, and we should be leading the effort. Instead, we've been deferring to the Ukrainians and their maximalist demands, upping the sanctions on Russia as Putin puts up his rhetoric against the West. Someone blew up the Nord Stream pipeline just in case another key nation, such as Germany, had any thoughts about coming to the bargaining table. And now we are playing a game of nuclear chicken with a Russian leader who, if his unhinged war against the West speech last Friday is any indication, has thrown away his steering wheel. Now, I don't agree with that, but it's fine that he does, and it's acceptable within the narrative. A regional war turned into the First World War, because all parties made maximalist demands and assumed the others were bluffing. It can happen again, especially if media, social media, and foreign policy elite join forces and use woke cancellation tactics to preclude discussion of any alternatives. Right now, we are locked on an escalatory path, and the destination ahead is woke war three. And that's exactly right. It is now indistinguishable. The most quote unquote liberal people in the country just the absolute diehard communists who will proudly call themselves progressives and socialists are working hand in hand with neocons, the Liz Cheney's of the world and all of these warmongers who supported the entire George W. Bush venture in the Middle East that Barack Obama continued. They have all joined and this is what they call the center now. This is the mainstream. These are the people setting the terms of the debate on Twitter and the result of both sides efforts, even though they will express that they have different points of view and believe that they do. The result of all that is exactly the same. We escalate in Ukraine. And this is the same with the mainstream election integrity debate. There are people who say, hey, we need voter IDs and hey, we don't want ballot harvesting. While the people on the left, the far left, want to expand voting as much as possible and put it on your phone so that everything is just on the Internet and it all goes in and whatever result comes through, that's it. You can't check the votes, can't check the IDs, just get everybody to vote. And that's all that matters for both of those groups that believe they differ on a range of issues. Their positions wind up in the exact same place and preparing the exact same society for Americans to live in. And all of that 
is more or less directly aligned with what is demanded by the global communist agenda. They are arguing about the details and the minutiae while their audiences, and most of them, honestly, are totally unaware of what the actual and important conversation is. None of them know any of it, and they did it to themselves by choosing to learn everything on Twitter, a platform that they know is censored, that they know bars real dissenting opinions. They're just not allowed inside the bubble, but they don't care because every time a dissenting opinion arrives, they offer to play a game of links as long as you play on their terms and stay within their rules. And no matter what you say or do, they are always right and you are always wrong because your position isn't allowed in the public conversation. So none of them understand it at all. Therefore, it must be crazy. It must be stupid. And you are probably stupid as well. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!